Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club, where three old heads put their old heads together to vibe on some of the most memorable or forgettable hip hop themed movies of all time. And here's HHMC with your HHMCs, Boogie, JB, and Dino Wright. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1, Beat Street. Beat Street, released in 1984, is a quintessential 80s East Coast hip-hop film. It contains all the elements of the early hip-hop culture. The music, the breakdancing, the artwork and the form of graffiti. The entire b-boy lifestyle was introduced there. The movie itself features a young man, Kenny, and his younger brother, Lee, and their friends, Ramon and Charlie, as they hope to make a name for themselves in the South Bronx of New York during the infancy of hip-hop as we know it today. Wrought with beatboxes, spray paint cans, house parties, the club scene, breakdancing, and legendary cameo hip-hop artist appearances, B Street's like a stepping into a museum of early East Coast hip-hop culture. Should we require watching for people of all ages that consider themselves fans of the hip-hop genre? It's a definition of the B-Boy era and a coming-of-age story about the young crew. Keep in mind this is 1984, and this is an instant classic. So what do we like about this film? Want to kick us off, Boogie? Okay, so this is one of my favorite movies growing up. I cannot tell you how many times I've watched this movie. I love that it incorporated the four elements of hip-hop. And it came across as really authentic. Start off with the main character, Kenny. He was a DJ, and he also doubled as one of the early versions of an MC hyping up the crowd. There were also other DJs featured throughout the film. You also had various stages of the MC, including those who ran at the local clubs and also to the well-established Roxy nightclub. And then you had your local girl group that performed at the house parties. The breaking was top-notch. You know what? The Magnificent Force... The New York City Breakers and the Rocksteady crew all make cameos in, the, in this film, all classics. And then you have Ramon, who was just a local graffiti artist, but he put his burners on the subway cars and walls. And even the jealousy element, you have the guy Spit who came across and defaced the property. So you have all, all four elements of hip-hop. You had your MC, your, your DJ, your MC. You had your break dancers, your b-boys, and you also had your graffiti artists. That was one of the main things I liked about it. Nice boogie. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it had everything that, that you'd want to see. And that was a lifestyle back then. That's that's what kids would do. And like I said, I like that it's like a coming of age story. You know, these young guys, they're, they're trying to make a name for themselves. It's not a glamorous life. It's tough. It's tough out there on the streets. But you see, uh, you know, Ramon, who had fathered a child with his girlfriend and uh, He's learning, learning the way the ways of the world, and in terms of he's finally getting to the point where he he's becoming a man and trying to be responsible, and, and he, he ends up getting a job and not only just doing his artwork, but he becomes a man. And unfortunately, tragedy hits towards the end, and uh, you know they lose him. But you see that community all all come together and support. It's a brotherhood. It's a whole family, and that whole culture was was all about that. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. And 
having never seen it before, which is crazy because it's a classic and I missed out on it. But it was really cool to see all these early hip hop legends. It was a lot of famous rappers I've listened to for a long time, but never was really seen on screen and all of that. Uh, I did have to watch the credits again to see who was who because there were so many of them. But it was really fun to see. And we can talk about this later, but we see Kumo D without his sunglasses. Like, I didn't recognize him without it. I didn't recognize him without his sunglasses. So it was a lot of fun stuff I really liked in this movie. Early hip-hop, uh, who's who, uh, at least the rappers. Yeah, for sure. So, um, Boogie, you can uh, expand upon this a little bit more. There's Dougie Fresh, who was... He is the best beat, beatboxer ever. He was there. And then the Treacherous Three is where Kumo D got to start. So you want to go through... Who those artists were? Yeah, I can give a quick, a quick, quick rundown on some of the cameos. You got Africa Mbamba, the Soul Sonic Force. You had the DJ, DJ Jazzy J. You had Us Girls, who consisted of Lisa Lee, Debbie D, and Shy Rock. Shy Rock, originally from the Funky Four Plus One, original mother of hip hop, Cool Herc, one of the fathers of hip hop. If you don't know who Cool Herc is, Google is your friend. <laughs> the Treasures Three, Cool Modi, Special K, and LA Sunshine. Of course, we mentioned Dougie Fresh. We had Grandmaster Melly Mel in the Furious Five, Grandmaster Flash, and then you have uh, Brenda K. Starr, Wanda D, and The System. If you don't know who The System are, look them up as well. Google is also your friend. Theme song to come into America, Don't Disturb This Groove. They put some nice classics out. Yes. Yeah, Don't Disturb This Groove is one of the best songs ever. Yeah, from the opening riff, that guitar, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, DJ Cool Herc, uh, he was featured prominently in the, the Netflix show Hip Hop Evolution, and he's pretty much brought the sound systems and the house parties. He was hustling before anybody else in, in bringing hip hop to the masses in New York. And uh, people call him sometimes the godfather of hip hop. You know, you, you may not know his name as much as you know some of the original hip hop groups, you know, like the Sugar Hill Gang and Run DMC, but DJ Cool Herc deserves uh, just as much credit. That was awesome that he was he played a role in there at the, the Burning Spear nightclub where uh, where Kenny really got a, a, his big break in front of the, uh, the talent agent. The, the music was 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 great. I, I love also that the music is not just you know about the beats and scratches, but there's a lot of strength and, and power political commentary. In the lyrics, I like at the very end, it's very uplifting. I think it's, um, Grant, was it Grandmaster uh, Melly Mel? You know, they, they had, we're talking about, yeah, talking about, you know, they talk about Iwo Jima, they talk about Vietnam, they talk about all, all these wars, right? And then they talk about egomaniacs controlling the self-righteous, learning from the past, working for the future. And then they're inspiring the children in the audience, the young folks, saying, listen, you're the future. So uh, grab it by the horns. There was a reference to being a slave to a computer, which is funny because it's a 1984. Just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Don't be a slave yeah. to a computer. Yep. And now look at us doing this on, on computers. Everyone has a computer in their pocket. If they only had known back then. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, 1984, right? That's when that epic ad came out from Apple based on Orson Welles' 1984, right? And yeah. Saying, you know, yeah. so the future was, you know, they, they, were, they were foretelling the future there, for sure. 
people should remember uh, 1984 isn't that far from the end of the Vietnam War. So something on people's minds back then that Melly Mel is still talking about it. It was a relevant thing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, th- there were incidents in within the movie that super poignant today. If you, you see what's happening where Lee gets, uh, you know, arrested as long as some other folks with just really dance fighting. Right. And, and it was all, it was literally like a, racial profiling of, of these folks and they just get locked up. His mother has to come bail him out. They were doing no harm to anybody. And you know, this obviously still happens today. It's revealed that by Kenny and Lee's mother uh, at the breakfast scene, I believe. And it also later on when, when Kenny is uh, courting Tracy, that he lost an older brother, Franklin, when he got caught up in the gang scene and the cops came in and his, his words, you know, folks got wasted and, my brother was one of those. So very relevant to today. Yeah, there were there were a lot of little Easter eggs planted throughout the movie too. There was another scene that that always sticks out with me. And every time I hear it, it kind of resonates with me because I know some of the history of what was going on in the Bronx at the time. Uh, one of them was, as you mentioned, with uh, the scene with uh, Franklin being wasted by with the gang violence. And there was another one when they first we're having a house party and, and, and Henry was downstairs banging on the pipes and they went downstairs to see where the noise was coming from. And he was telling them that he was looking for, for his friend that he served in the military with. And they were saying, you know, there was a fire. And, you know, the immediate response was he was in a fire. He's like, no, the building was on fire. The landlord set the building on fire five times. And, you know, that was very prevalent in that time frame. And, you know, there was always the phrase, the Bronx is burning. You know, the landlords were setting their buildings on fire to commit basically insurance fraud. You know, they were they were getting payouts and they were skipping out. And you had all of these abandoned buildings. Some of them were still standing. Some of them were, were in ruin. But you, you get this layout as if there's a war-torn country in the middle of New York, in the, in the Bronx, because these buildings were getting burned down. So these landlords could collect money. And that's a little small Easter egg that they planted in there. But every time I hear it, it always resonates with me. Because it took a long time for the Bronx to recover. And I mean, even Brooklyn, same thing. Yeah, way to, way to drop the knowledge there, Boogie. That's, that's, that's good knowledge. Shout out to BX. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, you know, we, we try to analyze these movies. And like I said, a lot of stuff is still on point and relevant. But, you know, I do have to mention... There was one scene that was, I guess, well, a little bit cringeworthy with a homophobic aspect of it with the Santa Claus scene where they did a rap. It was hilarious in terms of the concept, in terms of jingle jangle for the poor. You know, they're talking about Santa not coming through and give them a G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe toy. But, you know, if they had to redo it, I'm sure they would have reworded it. You know, there was a part where. He inferred that the, the G.I. Joe figure was gay, and then it was inferred that his his sexuality was questioned, things like that. But remember, it was back, not that it's ever acceptable. Back then, it was a lot more commonplace. But obviously, if they had to do it again, they would, they would remove that scene overall. Yeah. 1984 is close to the beginning of the AIDS crisis. 
which affected a lot of gay men. Not that it was an excuse to have those comments in there, but a lot of people weren't aware of gay culture, and so uh, that's what it was like back then. There was a lot of this homophobic stuff going around. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stereotypes. Yep. A lot of stigmas. Right. But overall, if you go back to the, the Santa, it was it was funny. They're calling him a drunk. <laughs> they're cursing. They're dropping the F-bomb at him. And when this, I was like, that's pretty, pretty funny. And uh, well before the uh, the bad Santa movies with Billy Bob Thornton and stuff like that. So kind of uh, cutting edge in terms of the, the concept. No one uh, bad mouth Santa. Yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes, though, because just out of the pure concept of them, you know, taking shots at, at Santa Claus for for not getting what they wanted like so so much so much so that i actually have a t-shirt with that scene on the front of it all right <laughs> that's right <laughs> I, almost, I forgot to put it on today but um yeah i'll i'll, I'll pass it around one time for one of the other episodes so you can get a glimpse at it you send us a picture of that put it in our instagram stories <laughs> yeah yeah that, that that's a great idea yes i mean there was some there were some humorous things throughout the, the film which <laughs> which made me crack a smile Obviously, the fashion back then, we always laugh at now. What we, what we were wearing in the 80s, right? We laugh at our old pictures back in the 80s, but the fashions that the us girls were wearing and some of the other folks. However, you know, this set the stage for kids are still wearing these. There's Kango hats. There was, um, you know, sideways caps, the, the loose-fitting pants, parachute pants, and mm-hmm. things like that, and, you know, Puma sneakers and whatnot. Also thought some of the dialogue was was just really funny to break break things up. There was a scene with Kenny uh, was drawing with with Ramon, and then Charlie. Char- actually, I think it was Charlie that was drawing with Ramon, and Kenny breaks it up by pretending to be a newscaster and just yeah. rapping through it, right? Finding humor, and uh, <laughs> that was that was good. And I like Kenny Lee's mother uh, rapping at the breakfast table a little bit too. Tell them, you know, yeah. eat your eggs before I break your legs. Eggs. <laughs> so little, little things like that were cracking me up. Yeah, the one who played his mother, Mary, Mary Alice, she's a gem. Um, she's played a she's played a mother in a bunch of movies that that I've seen, and it's, it was it's always good to see her on screen. She she's always brings a little bit of wit to her to her role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. So why don't we get into a little bit of that as well? Is some of these actors and actresses, right? You 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 may have recognize them from other things or maybe you didn't know about them but uh guy davis who plays kenny was a son of activists writers prominent figures in african-american culture ossie davis and ruby d and that that's just remarkable there yeah he's an accomplished blues guitar player which i should have known being a guitar player but i didn't know he's an actual musician in in the movie and in real life yeah, my mom. My mom told me that she she actually came across him some on something. Might have been Facebook, and um, I think she used to communicate with him on there as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That he's a he's an actual musician. Yeah, and as Boogie mentioned, the breakdancing crews were famous crews that had that battle with the Roxy, New York City Breakers, and the Rocksteady crew, and uh, that was an epic scene. The Roxy, or there were a few different um, dance scenes that. It, it, you got to check them out. Even if you just pull up the, the clip on YouTube, put in Beach Street breakdancing at the Roxy, that it's well worth your time. Yeah, that, that's probably one of the most iconic breakdancing uh, battles 
ever caught on film in a movie. <laughs> just amazing, yeah. amazing footwork. Of course, it had to be the, the, the battle ended with the iconic crazy legs, removing <laughs> the sneakers and going into a crab walk. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and what, that was like the mic drop moment right there. Basically, yeah, that was the mic drop right there. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, Co-produced, the movie was co-produced by Harry Belafonte, which we were talking about and we, we didn't realize that, or maybe we had forgotten it into the recesses of our mind, but <laughs> the legendary Harry Belafonte, you know, he put this, he put this on film and he wanted to portray, he was from that area, the South Bronx, and he wanted to just say this is the culture and, and put it out there on film and help to inspire a lot of folks. Yeah. It was uh, directed by Stan Lathan. You know, coincidentally, <laughs> A few hours ago, I was upstairs watching a comedy special, and who, of course, produced it was Stan Lathan. He produced uh, all of these iconic comedy shows, Deaf Comedy Jams. This one I happened to be watching was uh, was Earthquake. He does Chappelle and and you know Chris Rock. All of these iconic performances. He's he's been a, a producer for those, and also you know father of Sanaa Lathan. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave Chappelle's real husbands of Hollywood. I saw he, he look up his uh, yeah history. He's done a lot of great work. He's an impressive track record. Yeah, and father of Sanaa, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep, future father. Not him. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Actress Sin- Sanaa Lathan, who's uh, she's quite the looker, and uh, yeah. yeah, she's quite accomplished herself. Um, another fun fact. The role of Robert, who was Tracy's boss at the, I want to call it the Community Center for the Arts, right? It was played by Dwayne Jones, who was, who was Ben, prominent figure in Night of the Living Dead. That was an interesting fact that I, that I discovered. Yeah. yeah. And of course, we got yeah. Tracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about Tracy? Yeah. Tracy Ray, was played by Ray Dawn Chong, who is the, the daughter of the iconic comedian and partner of, of Cheech and Chong, Mr. Tommy Chong. Like she's been in a bunch of movies as well um, in the 80s and um, some, some, some good roles. So um, yeah, it's always good to see her on screen. You know, this is probably one of, one, probably was one of her earlier roles, but you know, she had a very important role in it as well because she was one of the people who kind of brought, brought hope to the crew. You know, they were all looking to make their way and just by pure coincidence and being in the right place at the right time and crossing paths with Lee. Um, you know, she it started off a little bumpy, but she actually ended up providing some hope and gave Kenny some assistance in, in making his envision, making his vision on how to um, memorialize and commemorate the life of Ramon, helped him bring that to fruition. So she played a very important role in the movie from my perspective. Yeah, for sure. They realized they have a lot in common because she was a composer. Yeah. She was a choreographer and she was looking at the music, musical aspect of it. Well, and this day they were able to collaborate because uh, Kenny was DJ as well. Um, towards the end when, you know, Melly Mel does the, the iconic Beach Street song and the tribute to Ramon. And following that, you see a minister come out on the stage and telling the kids to, uh, to believe it. Right. And that minister is played by Bernard Fowler who, if you don't know, has a long history with the Rolling Stones as a backup singer. He's quite accomplished as well. Very star-studded cast overall. And another musical tidbit for the 
the younger generation. <laughs> Biggie's uh, Notorious B.I.G. Uh, had a uh, song called Suicidal Thoughts, and he actually has a line in his song that references Beat Street. Uh, says, you know, should I die on the train tracks like Ramo and Beat Street? People at the funeral front and like they miss me. So there's been a couple other songs that reference Beat Street, and uh, it, it holds up to this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I also wanted to ask you guys, you know, Boogie and Donna, right? Do you think this movie could be made again today? If so, how? I, I, I think that it could because I think in this day right now, there's a big, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of a thirst for retro um, programs and the retro look and just everybody wants to retro everything. And even when you look at some of the shows and the movies that are coming out now, they're all like remakes or uh, revisiting, you know, old iconic shows and movies that we grew up on, things like yeah. that. There was a show that was on Netflix. Unfortunately, it was canceled. It was called The Get Down. If you ever get a chance to check that out, if you haven't, that's a great show. It actually, it's, it's fiction, but it takes place in the Bronx as well. And it kind of starts off with the beginning of um, how hip hop started with these actual um, the parties. And, and it actually references Cool Herc and a couple of other guys, prominent figures from that time, throwing these parties and who's going to go to these parties. And it also talks about the, the, the night that the, the great blackout of New York where there was a lot of looting and everyone became DJs because they were able to get their hands on some good equipment. <laughs> but yeah, um, I remember seeing a story about that. Yeah. yeah, but that show, it was so great. It was such a great show. And, and I think because of that show becoming so iconic and, and having such a strong following that, I mean, if you were to even imagine, you know, mention putting B Street out there, I think that, the, you know, the world will gobble it up. I mean, you don't even have to call it Beach Street. You can call it something else, but it would have the same premise. But yeah, I think I think it would hold up. I totally agree. And in fact, <laughs> I know how it could work. <laughs> if we pitch this or someone pitches this to Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? Because I love the confluence of the cultures. You have Ramon, who, who's Puerto Rican descent. You have the young African-American kids. And you see even some Spanish songs, right? I know Lin-Manuel Miranda was influenced by old school hip hop. You see it obviously throughout Hamilton, which is all, all hip hop, uh, which was just a brilliant idea. And just to this day is just super successful, made a ton of money and got a lot of more people into hip hop and American history. You know, B Street is all about a huge part of American history with the B-boy era in the early hip hop. And so like, I think it could be done just like this. And I think people, would love it. He could just enhance upon some of the songs and it'd be great. I mean, if you think about it, Steven Spielberg just remade West Side Story. Right. Which, if I'm not mistaken, set like in the 50s. And he didn't modernize it, which I love. It was not like, you know, we're going to do a different twist on it and stuff like that. He, he had it like exactly. So we can preserve this and just add it. What if we put it into like 4K, you know, and have these personalities and have cameos from from these same legends that made their appearances that would be incredible yeah i think it will work let's yeah get i think it's steven on the phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Exactly. I think the movie could be remade. I think you could remake this movie, but I don't think you could make this movie as a new film today. The culture is not new anymore. It's like 40 plus years old now. This movie was like a clarion call. Like, here's this new culture and here's this new thing that people don't know about. And it's going to become bigger and bigger. So for that reason, I think, uh, I don't know what's going on underground right now that would become as big as hip hop and could make a movie similar to Beat Street on that. Right. Newer filmmaking techniques, you know, maybe not modernizing it like Spielberg did with West Side Story. You know, this is like 16 years before like Bullet Time and The Matrix. It'd be interesting to see how they would remake this film with modern filmmaking techniques. I'm not sure how you would make a film as a brand new statement about an emerging culture right now. Uh, right. You could say that hip hop is the last great big American cultural export of this scale yeah. since jazz. Yeah. yeah, it's funny you mentioned export because I was reading how this film specifically had a big influence on German culture. Uh, the youth in Germany as the, the Berlin Wall, you know, and the, and the tensions between East and West Germany. And this is something that really united the youth and, and gave them something to, to embrace back then. So that, that really brought hip hop over to, and the dancing, break dancing to that part of Europe for sure. So, yeah, I'm glad you used that term export there. So Boogie is a DJ of our crew here. Literally, he has a DJ business doing it for years. Did you own the soundtrack? for Beat Street, and if not, would you would you buy it? I absolutely owned it, and I was trying to, 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 to look. I don't have it in my stack over there. It's actually sitting in my mom at my mom's house. I have a collection that, that I keep at my mom's house, but if you look at the picture, oops, get it there. Oops, that's not it. Where is it at? I just had it. Where is it at? I just had it. There we go. Levi's showing it to us on his phone. Yeah. Ah, he's got the vinyl. Yeah. He's got the music. That's volume one. You have volume two, too? Yeah, volume two. Wow. I read that this was the first movie that had a two-volume soundtrack. Oh, it probably was because I know a lot of my other soundtracks, it was just like one one, one record or it, would, it might have a double album, but it would all be in one, one sleeve. Right. Yeah, I had... It's two, two separate sleeves. Um, I've owned those albums since the movie came out. <laughs> and they, they still play. <laughs> Maybe a little bump in the road here and there, but they're still pretty good, in pretty good condition. So, yeah, by all means, I got soundtrack. <laughs> we'll put that on our Instagram stories. Yeah, I love the nostalgia. Was there anything that you guys didn't like or, or felt was lacking in the film? Um. Yeah, you know what? There was a little hokiness in it occasionally, but I think that's just as I watch it as an adult. I mean, as a child, I, I, it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I didn't see much humor in it. It was more so this movie is great. Oh, my God, my mind is blown. Mid-40s now, I watch it now, and of course, I can see some of the funny stuff in it that wasn't intentional, but if you watch any 80s film, in your mid-40s, you're going to find some things in it that are humorous, even though they weren't meant to be so. But that's probably about it. Yeah, that's probably about it as far with me. But even those little little nuances aren't enough to distract away from the classic status that I that I have with Beach Street. 
Yeah, the, I mean, the only other thing I mentioned before is, you know, the, the unfortunate the homophobic oh, yeah, man. slur, which I know is important. And uh, but again, we progressed so much as a culture. We're so as a whole, we're open minded. Obviously, there's very large pockets of folks that are not open minded. Right. And not embracing all walks of life, all sexual orientations and et cetera. But that one, obviously, they they need a mulligan for that one. I, I really enjoyed it so much that the only thing that I thought was lacking was that I wish there was like an epilogue or where are they now? Because there was, while there was uh, two parts to the soundtrack, there was not a sequel to Beach Street, right? So I would love to know, did Kenny and Tracy's romance flourish? Did they eventually get married? Did they open up a school and studio to aspire young dancers and hip hop artists? That would be awesome. Did Lee go on to dance for like, Broadway show or something? Did he take his breakdancing act on the road? Right. Charlie, you know, promoting everybody, et cetera, like that. I'd love to see a follow up on that. Yeah, like the Charlie eventually owned the Roxy nightclub. <laughs> he had a lot of Moxie. He had Moxie to walk into that Roxy like that you know, and just kind of lay it down. Like I'm in charge here. Yeah. He, he was convincing. Yeah. yeah. The thing I didn't like about the movie, aside from the homophobia, was there was some character development that, and I'm not a professional film critic, so listeners hit us up, but we mentioned Spit, who was the rival graffiti artist that would deface other people's burners and murals and those things. Uh, he plays a pivotal role in the movie, but we don't really know about him. We don't really find out much about him. Maybe he was just supposed to be part of the environment that they're, they're supposed to deal with. He's based on a real person. If we go through Star Wars, that documentary about graffiti, you see he's based on a character in that film. But if you haven't watched Star Wars, then you wouldn't know this. So I felt like I needed more meaning behind Ramon dying because he was fighting with Spit in the subway. And for that matter, Robert, you know, Tracy's boss, uh, I was confused by the relationship. I think I see them kissing in one scene where she kissed him and it made Kenny jealous. So I felt like something that it wasn't developed much the sort of love triangle going on there. And so I was confused by it a little bit. Maybe the listeners, maybe you can explain it to me. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I didn't, I caught that relationship. I didn't know it was a hug or a kiss, but it was something that was kind of like maybe more accepted back in the day, you know, with, with the, the, you know, you know, 70s for sure. <laughs> and maybe early 80s with secretaries. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss, I, I, I understand that. That lacked a little bit of uh, storyline, for sure. Yeah. Maybe it was cut for time, but those two things, I would have liked some more on, on those. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Ramon, Ramon he, he just he dropped a quick in about Spit. They said he, he said something along the lines that he used to create the workout and nobody really liked it. Uh, and so, yeah. this, so that, from that point on, he just to just go around writing his name on other people's stuff. But yeah, he, but it didn't, it wasn't much, I think it was maybe like a couple of lines and that was it. So I do agree that we probably could have, you know, given them a little more character development so we kind of get a little bit more about, you know, what he was doing. But there were definitely, I've definitely seen instances of that happen in my own neighborhood uh, with people putting up, you know, burners and people coming along and just writing their name across it. And um, yeah. <laughs> It's hard out here in the streets. Yeah. 
Well, guys, what do we think of overall rating? And I think what we'll do for the ratings for this podcast is we have two choices. <laughs> bring that funky flick back. Bring that funky flick back or leave it in the vault. Leave it in the vault. So, uh, Boogie, what would you say for this one? <laughs> bring that funky flick back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dino Wright, what do you got? Bring it back. Yeah, and I'm with you. Bring that funky flick back. Bring that funky flick back. So yeah, we we all like this, and we think this. As I mentioned in the beginning, this should be required viewing. Hip Hop 101 for those that love the genre, for those that want to learn about it. There you have it. We did it, guys. We did it. Yep. Hip Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHMCs. JB, Boogie, and Dino Wright. B music by Boogie. Thanks to Live and Rose from the Highs and Lows with Live and Rose podcast. Go check them out and subscribe to their show. Special thanks to Susan Berger, Tawanda Edwards, and Allison Yares. Hit us up at hiphopmovieclub at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at hiphopmovieclub. You can also check us out at hiphopmovieclub.com. The next episode of Hip Hop Movie Club podcast drops in two weeks. Subscribe today in your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Please do share this with a friend. Shout out to you listeners. Don't hate, congratulate. <laughs>